This is a Broad Pods production. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Broad Pods production. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. Hi there, I'm Jo Stanley and welcome to Broad Radio On The Go. We are all about amplifying women's voices and if you check out all our other episodes of Broad Radio On The Go, you'll find some amazing women there. Thought leaders, comedians, change makers, sports women, artists, we've got it all. And in this episode, my co-host Nellie Thomas and I are joined by two brilliant women. First, actor, playwright Virginia Gay and then singer-songwriter, artist and author Bertie Blackman. Check it out. Let me yeah. tell you, I think that the pandemic, which in the way it was experienced in Australia, had quite a few defining moments. And one mm. of them was when this woman mm. performed a monologue on Q&A that was Correct. just breathtaking. Yeah, And it was from her show, Cyrano, which had this it took a year to hit the stage mm, because mm. of what happened going into lockdown. Mm. She is Virginia Gay, playwright and actor. Hello, Virginia. Good morning, my friends. How are oh, you? Listen, listen to that, that <laughs> voice. Oh, That's the voice of a theatre actor who was yeah. asleep until 20 minutes ago. Yeah. This is the middle of the night for me. In well, I do know you're joining us in the middle of your season of Cyrano, yes. and we're really grateful to yeah. you for that. But yeah. it did take a year be- yeah. for it to finally reach its audience. Um, and it's a story well to- told, but it is also breathtakingly kind of a piece in time. Mm. Yeah, as I was writing Cyrano, the world shut down Mm. and I was writing this show about, you know, the the old story of Cyrano is a a very ugly man who falls in love with a brilliant and beautiful woman and she loves a beautiful man and he realises that the only way he can get close to her is by writing the script with which this beautiful man seduces this beautiful woman and... um, that's obviously, you know, that's like that's like a kind of proto rom com, right? That, mm, like that's mm. an essential setup to a rom com with a, a love triangle. But as I was writing it, and the world shut down around me, I was like, oh, this is the story of somebody who 
isolates themselves to protect the person that they love. This is the story of somebody who asks less of the world so that the people that they love can flourish and bloom. And that's what we all did for the last two years. Like it suddenly became extraordinarily universal. So everything about the show that I have um, written into this new version is about that kind of that state of hyper longing that we were all in for mm. so long how we needed connection but we couldn't get it so we would take the tiniest bit because you have to have connection to live but we couldn't actually get close to the people that we loved um, and then just imagining that that Q&A speech was just imagining all of the things that we would do again once we mm. could love the people that we loved in the way that we wanted to the way that we would experience the world <laughs> That's interesting, Virginia, because I remember, you know, watching that Q&A monologue and I agree with Joe. like it had such a profound impact and hearing you talk about taking those moments of connection in a way, like as a performer myself, I was like, that is one of those moments of connection where that I take for granted, even as someone who gets to perform, I took that for granted. Yeah. And watching you do that reminded me of the importance of you know, lofty things like creativity and humanity and, and all the longing and all those sorts of things. That connection came through the screen, but it was real. That's so lovely. That's so beautiful. That's actually, I mean, in the in the show, it's a duologue. It's a, it's a scene mm. between me and Roxanne. And I remember thinking, oh, this is clearly the material that we need to be talking about right now because yep. Melbourne had just entered lockdown number six, which we didn't know was going to be the mm. longest one ever. And, but everybody was so worn down by all the previous ones. So I was like, oh, it has to be hopeful. It has to be connected. Mm. So I remember thinking, I'll just learn all the parts of the scene and I'll do it down the lens and you at home will be my scene partner and we can mm. imagine this together. Yeah, mm. I, I remember thinking really consciously, I've got to try and, connect with it worked. somebody oh, who was my, I, I was, that same I was weeping yeah, I remember same. weeping yeah um but you you know I've heard you speak um Virginia a lot about the role that the audience plays in this show like there's mm. a real for you that exchange and the audience being the extra cast member almost is is very very real in this show yeah that's exactly it. And I actually think that's true of any live performance, but particularly in this case, in a comedy. And you would know this, my friends, you would both know this, that the, the audience is the final character in a comedy and every yeah. night that final character is different and every night you learn to read where they're going, learn to lead them in particular ways, are surprised when they respond in particular ways. Um, and that thing about live performance is the thing that we haven't, again, haven't been able to do for two years. And I am forever grateful for, for Netflix and all of the streaming services mm. that got us through the two years of isolation. But it's a different engagement. Mm. It's a passive thing to sit here and absorb one way what the screen is giving you. What live performance does is say, we are all in a room together. We cannot exist without you. A play without an audience is pointless. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. So we cannot exist without you. We are so grateful that you're here. We understand the risk that you're taking to come here again, especially as we were coming out of the, um, of the pandemic, that sense of like, there's risk involved in, in coming to a space filled with other people, but mm. there's so much benefit as we have learnt mm. to come back and connect with other people because when you are sitting there and you can hear a pin drop when somebody's heart breaks on stage mm. and you can hear an audience go, oh, as something terrible happens, you realise mm. you are not alone in every thought that you've ever had. Every other audience member in that audience is having that thought at the same time mm. and going, oh, 
could that person like could could I love in this way could I could I risk this in this yeah. way it's a kind of extraordinary thing it's an enormously unifying experience mm. and it's just I feel like that's the thing that we have missed for two years mm. yeah it's well, that moment where you go I remember the love or I yearn for the love mm. or I'm in the love exactly well it's, it's a relationship yeah, exactly isn't it in the truest mm, yeah. sense of the word like the relationship Absolutely. between the audience and the performer if they don't give you can't receive and vice versa you know if the person next to you right. is like storming in a mood you're that's going to affect you mm. if they're open and generous that's going to affect you it's exactly right and it's an it's an energetic exchange that i see happen it every really night is. and when people come out and when people come out and they say i can't stop crying in the best possible yes. way or yeah. i I laughed until I cried and then I laughed mm. again. I just, I'm like, that's it. Like actual energetic exchange, mm. actually communicating with people. It's Connection. just so thrilling. Yes. Connection. Virginia, I have to ask as a fellow queer lady about town, you've obviously yes. done a rewriting in a, in a, I mean, the way that I would describe it is a, a queer rewriting of, of an old text. Yes. Why was that important yes. to you to do that? Well, I, when I saw, I saw a production of um, Cyrano in London just before the world shut down and it was a James McAvoy production and he did it without the nose and it's the first time I've ever seen the show without the nose. Mm. You know, it's an old text. I've seen many productions. And when you do it without the nose, I suddenly went, oh, oh, this is, this is very clearly queerly coded. Mm. Qu clearly queerly coded, which is my new vo voice <laughs> Um, That's but, your Tinder profile. But, <laughs> but, but, that, that idea of looking at um, a body and, and looking at James McAvoy, like one of the mm. most, you know, make, they can handsome men in the world. Mm. And you could see that he had decided, the character had decided that he was unworthy of love, yeah. that there was something about him inherently that mm. meant that that beautiful, brilliant woman would never love him. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's queer coding. Mm. That's exactly Correct. what that is. And I was like, has there ever been a female Cyrano? I don't think so to the best of my ability. And I also remember thinking, not only do I want to tell this story in a queer way and, and honour all of those, like mostly those incredibly awkward and true and important feelings that you have in your teenagers, teenage mm. years and your mm. early 20s, but also the sense of, um, the sense that I had never seen a role for a woman that asked everything mm. in the way that Cyrano does. So you've yep. got to be incredibly verbally dexterous. You've got to be mm. physically agile. You've got, to, you've got to be the big beating romantic heart of the show, but also you've got to be the great comedian. You've got to run that audience like it's, like it's your own hand. You know, like mm. you've, got to, you've got to be across everything. And I was like, I, don't, I cannot think of a role like this for a woman. Mm. I want to make a role like this for future women and to Virginia, play. And Virginia. for future... I female adjacent people to play yes. and non-binary yeah. people and trans actors. I want to see it. I say this with deliberate and knowing irony. It is a role yes. full of BDE, right? It is a woman walking on stage with big dick energy going, I yeah. own this space. And we don't see that it's, enough. We don't. And it's pretty thrilling, actually. Absolutely. It really is kind of incredibly thrilling to, to invite people into that and be like, look at this power but also look mm. at how it has been taught to go hand in hand with self-hate and lack of self-worth yes. and unlearning <gasps> that 
oh, self-hate and unlearning correct. that lack of self-worth is the story of the show basically mm, yeah. so I think it's I, it's really exciting when I hear like mm. really um when I hear women respond to this because I'm like mm. we got taught this we got yes. taught to make ourselves smaller Small. to chat less to think less and mm. we got taught that the world would be mm. easier for us if we were just prettier oh yeah, yeah. and that Love people that. would Can like I us swear? yes swear? you must <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. But also this notion that you will somehow be more likable if you are if you like yourself less. Oh, absolutely. It's just an announcement. That that makes no sense. But even the fact that you walk on stage going, I'm sexy. Yeah. I'm sexy and I know it. Yeah. Like even that we're told don't do that. Everything tells us to do it. Be sexy, wear your bikinis, be a size eight, all the da da da. But don't yeah. be too sexy. But, don't and, be confident. And, and at the yeah. same time, don't like yourself. Yeah. Don't be up yourself. No, oh, don't. no, no, no. No, God, no, no. We no, couldn't no. be no, more she, for, she all know. for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of course, too. I mean, love is the most written about yeah. human condition, right? Mm. So does that make it mm. easier to write about or harder knowing that there is such a tradition written about love? What a terrific question, Joe. Thanks. God. <laughs> I've never, I've never consciously thought about that. Um, I would say, oh, I mean, I would say it, it makes it both harder and easier. I mean, obviously, because we're always thinking about the need for connection. So you're, I, I, and certainly over the last two years, you know, I was very, very isolated. I was living in a one bedroom flat in LA. So I was really, really thinking about the need for connection and love quite a lot but I agree you don't want you don't want cliche and certainly Mm. I don't want cliche but also Cyrano doesn't want cliche Cyrano who loves words more than anything else would spit on cliche Mm. (laughs) Um, Mm. so you don't want cliche you don't want you want to surprise an audience in the the way that you get to love the the way that you describe it the way that you you want to awake an audience's brain with with a a turn of phrase or a turn of plot twist that makes them go oh like surprise Mm. synapses um so yes I actually think I think the challenge has been how do you how do you tell this great and famous love story in a surprising and new way and in a way where I very consciously wanted to make it accessible, uh, to make it um, approachable, particularly to people who maybe thought that main stage theatre wasn't for them, that um, I wanted to invite like a younger audience in. And and that sense of like how you find accessibility within poetry and accessibility within somebody who loves words. But see, I think... Um, that's been a real challenge. Well, because the reason I ask the question is because I think the balance that you struck is that it's surprising, but it's really key that it's relatable, relatable. as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, a, mm. a, a, one of the lines that I just was... I remember, mm. and I want to take you to every restaurant in the city. Oh, that's the line. That was my right? line that I and, was going to quote. Because every single person goes, oh, <laughs> yes. that's exactly how take I feel. Me. Take me. So it's, yes. it's, it's, it's surprising, yes. but not... At yes, the same correct. time, yes, correct, totally fine. Yeah, fine. Trying to find the poetry in the everyday was what mm. I was trying to do, mm. and particularly, of course, that list of things in mm. in the Q and A monologue, which is like, they were all the things that we couldn't do. The restaurants were yes. shut. We couldn't travel. All of that stuff that was just like the 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 things that you don't even realize are these demonstrations of love and these mm. demonstrations of togetherness. 
until they are gone and you can't do them. Mm. And I mean, I think on one level, you know, you take a traditional story and you cast Virginia Gay in it, then you've got you've got both the accessibility or the known quantity and then, and I say this with the greatest amount of love and affection, the loose cannon. <laughs> Where you go? Yes. What's 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 going to happen next? I mean, that's what's both, she going to do? What's she going exactly? Do? And, exactly. And I think obviously the um the joy in making Calamity Jane, which has yes. which really did change my career, mm. meant that people go that loose cannon. Get yeah. me closer to the fire. Absolutely. Line. Put me in front of the loose cannon. <laughs> will she, what will she explode now? Who knows? Um, so that's enormously fun to, to feel like. In fact, I'm thrilled that if you feel like that's my brand, couldn't be more delighted. That's your brand yeah. to me, doll. That's yeah. your brand. And yeah. can we have more of it? Please. I mean, it's just. Yes, it's it's um, and I love too, Virginia, that you've identified you are doing these sorts of you know you're creating art and theatre like this for younger women for mm. the next generations. Mm. It's like critical. Yes. We are we're all here for that, really. Correct. I mean, that's our exactly, responsibility. Right? Mm. And it's really important that people feel welcome in spaces, especially spaces that you, that. Mm maybe they thought they weren't welcome in. You know, we've got an incredible new um, artistic director at the Melbourne Theatre Company at the moment. Yes. Her name is Anne-Louise Sarks, and she is going to do amazing stuff in this 2023 season. And this idea of, like, this is for you. Like, theatre theatre doesn't exist in a vacuum. It doesn't exist just for your parents. It exists no. for you. Mm. This is stuff that should be so like it should be mm. so appetizing you should want to gorge yourself mm. on the experience of going to theater of having a great night out in melbourne yeah. of going out with your friends or with a date or with your lover and having mm. a glorious time we mm. should all be gorging ourselves on this because we have been without it for yes. so long yeah. <laughs> um is i know that cyrano is closing in melbourne in the next week is it touring uh we uh, we I, I, what, have we announced uh, there there is um there is there is a place that it is going to that we are very excited about i actually think that might be announced later this week okay um, but yes we close we close in melbourne on the 29th of october and we cannot extend that so okay. if you have any mm. desire to see it now go now mtc.com.au get mm. yourself a ticket or three because honestly it's just Stunning. Amazing, extraordinary. Yeah. Virginia, thank you so much yes. for joining us. Uh, it's just been a delight to chat with you as Absolutely. always. Thank you so much, my Thanks, loves. Virginia. Cheers. Thanks Bye. for having me. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. She's an artist, an ARIA-winning singer-songwriter, and now she has released a memoir. Hi there, Bertie Blackman. Hello. How Hi, are Bertie. you? Virginia Gay sends her love. Yes. 
Yeah, I heard her briefly say that. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, Bertie, your memoir, Bohemian Negligence, is about your childhood as a daughter of iconic artist Charles Blackman. And I feel like I'm, I'm wondering whether this is a story you were asked to, t- to tell many times before you finally told it. Mm. What has prompted you to tell it now? Um, I think people have been asking whether I was going to write this story for a long time and um, I felt like I um, got pregnant actually, well not accidentally, um, decided that it was time to have a baby and when I conceived the our child I was like I really need to get this memoir done before I have him because there are a lot of things that kind of happened in my childhood that are a little bit um, tricky and I felt like my way of seeing the world was going to change a lot from kind of from having Rumi. So it was really important to me that I kind of, that I got this down in that time. And I'm very actually grateful that I did because I think when you become a parent, the world does change in some ways, especially when we're thinking about childhood and experiences and how these things kind of make us who we are. Bertie, that's such a fascinating answer because I think one of the things that they don't tell you in all the parenting books is that any unresolved shit you have with your own parents or your childhood is about to punch you in the face right yeah. but this was the oh most surprising thing to me when I Absolutely. had my first daughter I was like yeah. where I'm done with this mm. I'm done with oh I was not done with this so that was very no. very clever of you to do that yeah it all comes back up in a different way and I think that's I mean blaming negligence is written from the point of view of a child and I think that's I still wanted to be that child when I wrote this book mm. and I still feel like that child, but now I'm a mum too. So mm. um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, half of the book was written after I had Rumi, but um, they were the chapters that were a little easier to write that I wrote mm. and, you know, touches on some things in the book that happened in my childhood that were very difficult. And I think that would have been just a bit too confronting for me to look at my boy and think about that too as well as write it down at the same time. So starting with the, with you know, because the title is intriguing, fascinating, very clever. And I'm we're all interested in the bohemian part, of course, mm-hmm. because of your history. But the word that stands out for me, obviously, is negligence. So how do you yeah. frame negligence in terms of your child? I mean, going into as much as or as little as you want, what does negligence mean in your context? I think in my context... I mean, I think the word, with the word bohemian next to it, the word, you know, negligence on its own is a very, it's a hard word. Mm. And um, I had a very, what I would describe as free-range childhood. Imagine the chooks going out into the yard, they're kind of hanging out and doing what they're doing. And everyone, it's more like kind of you're out in the community doing as you are. And my, so I think that when there's not that kind of hyper-vigilant um, parenting, you've got to be home by this time, calling every hour when you're staying at a friend's house, things can happen. And my parents were brought up in the same way where there was just a lot more freedom. I played on the street all the time, you know, um, when I stayed at friends' houses for a couple of days, mum, you know, was just like, you must be fine. And I'd call and check in, but it's also how she was raised. And my dad was raised in a very similar way. So, and I think that's, with that kind of free range and that freedom, um, sometimes difficult things can happen to children in that. And I think that that kind of way of parenting was, again, how my parents were modelled to parent. And I think these days that we now know that 
you know, there are predators out there and we have to, you know, we give help our children kind of um, garner a language to be able to know what's up to kind of be able to speak up if something happens and to know that everyone is a good person. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of what it might be. Yeah. I also wonder if there was sort of a sense of irony for you until you told this story, because people would have looked at your childhood and gone, oh, my God, she's so lucky. She so had, you know, she had yeah. this, you know, famous dad and she mm. had this creativity and free range life. So what an awesome childhood. What a great <laughs> experience. And you must have at times, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth and so tell me I'm wrong. But is that were there moments where you're like, if only you knew? Uh, I think that at the time... I didn't really feel like it that wasn't quite right then, but as an adult, I think like that, you know, I think some extraordinary things, you know, happened. You know, I, my dad used to cross dress and take me to school. I would be able to pick his bra size from the fruit bowl and he'd be like, grapefruits, lemons, or oranges. And I get to pick his bra size and then he'd put on a frock and take me to school. And I just thought he was the coolest man that ever lived. You know, he, taught me how to cook spaghetti properly by was like the way that you know the spaghetti is cooked is you got to throw it up on the ceiling and when it sticks you know that it's done you know and I looked up at the ceiling there's dry spaghetti all over everywhere and it's mm. jumped up a bit high at the same time too so there's a lot of beautiful kind of absurdity in the life that I was living at the time but yeah there were you know a few moments that um were not so great so I think in writing this book I then discovered more of those moments too and I think that we shuffle things away because mm. we were our parents and there were yeah there's definitely been some kind of boundary gray area that I have been confronted with with my father and having yeah sort of brought all that up again I guess and now kind of filtering it through figuring out how I still feel about it all. Well, it's interesting, Bertie, and I think, Joe, you'd relate to this, and I'm sure you will as well, Bertie. You know, all three of us come from, live creative lives now, I guess, so you're exposed to lots of different ways of living. And one of the things I notice is that the kids that I know from very traditional families look at my family or other creative families and are like, oh, I wish we had that. And I know so many kids of, especially comedians who are like going to gigs at night mm. and, you know, touring mm. and stuff going, I just want to sit at the table and have dinner together and play Scrabble. <laughs> and not to dismiss the negligence at all, because I think that, that really comes through. But there is there an element of anything you don't have, mm. you kind of want, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I think grass is green and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like all I wanted when I was a kid was like a white bread Vegemite sandwich yes. and like frozen pie dinner at home. And, you know, mm. and life was like that. I remember I went to school and mum had like made pesto, pesto from scratch and there's all this yellow yes. capsicum in there. And I was looking at this thing going, yuck, all yeah. I want is this plain food. But, you know, I guess that was a, that's a one kind of moment where I definitely looked at the other munches and I was like, I must be a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> isn't that isn't food so fascinating? I so remember fascinating. talking to Christos Cholkas, that you know, the author, and he had the same yeah. experience where he'd go to school and he'd have this amazing Greek food, you know, that we would all salivate over, and he'd be there going, yeah. "Why can't I have a Vegemite sandwich?" Mm. <laughs> you know, because it means something. Yes, it means something. Yeah, yeah. it represents family, yeah. your yeah. family, and your heritage, and when you come where you come from. Mm. So now, yeah. though, as a parent, mm. what? Does that creativity give you when you're making choices? I know Rumi is very little still, but 
does it allow you to make conscious choices as to how you will parent? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that, like, I want Rumi to have a childhood like mine. I want him to have all of that colour and that, and, that, and that freedom in many ways. And, you know, I often kind of wish in a way that my life was more bohemian. Sometimes I feel like it's a bit boring for him sometimes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll try my best to dress up like a vampire and uh, run around. You know, his his mummy is a writer and a musician and a painter, so they're always going to be, you know, interesting people kind of coming through the house. He's got interesting people in his life, and you know, a lot of paintings on the walls. Do you? What what about that behind you? Both of those pieces behind you. Yeah, I'm very very lucky. Can you tell? Can you introduce those two pieces to us? I can the blue one. Hang on, if I move this one. Yes. Yeah, is by my dad Charles, and then the dark one over here is by my mum Dolly. Mm. They're both beautiful paintings. Mm. Yes, extraordinary. What you you know you are a musician, singer, songwriter, uh, writer, and of course an artist as well. All very different mediums, but connected by you and your voice. But do you have a preference? One that you feel easier or harder to do? Um, I think predominantly. I am a storyteller. So all of those worlds fall into just a different um, application, I guess. And I did self-question a lot because, you know, for a solid decade, I did nothing but music. And when I needed to kind of have a little bit of a break um, from it, I did question myself. I felt a bit lost for a while and I didn't know who I was. And then it just felt right when I started to paint. It felt right when I started to draw more and I, realize that it all kind of comes from the same place and it doesn't matter the application really as long as it's for me it's the strength of the storytelling and the narrative and the, mm. the curiosity and the words you know that's what really makes me tick and sometimes it comes through sound and sometimes it's silent and sometimes it's a drawn line so i feel very lucky that i was given a few of these um, ways to express that too and it's not just music you know i feel grateful that I can sit down for an afternoon and draw and it feels just as good. Mm. You've got lots of ways to get it all out. I wonder in terms of, you know, becoming a mum, which seems to be a defining thing, you know, for you, for me, for you Mm -hmm. as well, um, that kind of expression, the creative expression, there is a big element in any creativity of exposure and vulnerability and rawness. Do you think you have changed? Like, do are you conscious that Rumi will read your book one day, will listen to your songs, will see your art? Like, has it affected it or has it not? I mean, what's the what's the go there, Birdie? <laughs> well, you know, just a soft exposure of your soul, you know. My yeah. son. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> well, now I know all about you, Mum. You know, yeah. like mm. the book particularly, I. I'm very conscious that he will read that one day and I mm. will you know, talk to him about that when he does. But I think, you know, like he, I was in the cover of Spectrum a couple of weeks ago and I went with the, to the news, news agent and got a copy and he was like, Mama, Mama. And he like looked and pointed at the cover. When he sees me on TV, on, you know, music videos playing, he gets really excited. So I can see that he really lights up and it's really nice to see. I didn't think about that really at all. And I, when I had him, you know, I'm not, I don't know. It's a funny thing to see him recognize me somewhere else. Mm. It must be kind of strange for him too. 
but I also had a similar experience as a child as well. And I, my experience of having a very famous father, I always felt very proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't embarrass him too much. No, you must. You must embarrass him. That's that's our role as parents yeah. is to embarrass our kids. But also you'll just be cringe regardless of what you do. Like yeah. I can tell you as having a 15-year-old, yeah, you just cringe. Yeah. yeah. Good, bad or otherwise. Yeah, it's okay. Just just forge forward. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Bertie, congratulations on the book. I can't wait to read yeah. it because, um, yeah. you know, your family represents iconic sort of history of art in Australia. That must feel, I don't know if you feel the weight of that, but it's kind of, you know, there's a big yeah. heritage that comes behind your yes. story. But I'm yeah, looking forward to hearing your words as well. Mm. Yeah, I think there are some really beautiful moments in that book where I'm also watching my father work and kind of just him weave in and out of his worlds and I think that did speak to someone else who was very excited to kind of as a big huge fan of my father's like know him a little bit more and I hope that I was able to share a a different side of dad that people haven't seen or known before. Well, and I think for me, Betty, the, and, and I imagine for other listeners as well, the entry point is, I mean, it's partly that, but it's also I'm fascinated by this idea of, you know, is is it free-range parenting or were we neglected or is it a little bit of both? You know, as a child of yeah. the 70s, we, I remember, for example, watching Jaws. Yeah. yeah. You look at that and you go, okay, maybe my parents were just letting me be exposed to some stuff. Or you go, oh, maybe they just didn't notice. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> how do you kind of reconcile that, especially when you become a parent? And I think that's a really, for me, that's the entry point to your to your memoir. Yeah, and I think that there's nothing wrong with it being a little bit of both. I don't think mm. that anyone's ever going to be able to escape that because you can't take from everything and kids are going to find their way in and through into stuff mm. that you don't know about. It's their kind of job in life. Um, so I think that it's something that I'll be questioning for all, you know, well, now forever. Now I have mm. a child of my own, but it, um, certainly when I did reflect upon a lot from mine as well. But I think, it's, I think it's really lovely the love that you express when you say that your parents weren't modelled as, with parents, oh, absolutely. you know, so yeah. there's that forgiveness that we all have to mm. find. And it doesn't have to be blame, no. but it can just be, no. this is my experience. Yeah, and that's yeah. really how I want to tell it, and I think that, you know, especially for my mum who is who is still alive, who read this book and we've had some big talks about all of it and mm. what that means and what that means to her and her reconciling her feelings on a number of things. It's been very healing for the both of us and then, you know, she then reflected on her childhood and her mother and how she was parented and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's been, yeah, really a beautiful experience that way. And I hope that's for readers. Um, they can go through those small kind of questions yeah it's a gift mm, thank you so absolutely. much Bertie it's just been a delight to chat yeah. with you thank you Bertie thank you all right oh, oh wow. my god I've loved this show just like a creativity bomb Virginia come on like yeah. I just want Virginia to be my best friend I know well, I'm sure that she would be <laughs> and Bertie just that you can feel the creativity yeah. and there's a beautiful like raw pain and joy mixed 
together. Yes, which is what I love about her music. Yeah, this absolutely. electronic pop that's yeah, got yeah. this sort of shadow behind it that I'm just like, oh, yeah. it's just, you know, yeah. best kind of music is that. And you're pretty good yourself, Joe. Oh, babe, I love doing a show <laughs> with you. You're just fun and deep at the same time, which I think we can tell by with your the, top. With the geometric dress. <laughs> it's a dress, actually, but anyway. Oh, yes, it yes. is a dress. Um, hey, thanks for uh, no, sharing thanks the show for with me. me again. I know that you're loving Nine Perfect Strangers <gasps> as well, which... Um, Did you notice Virginia mentioned it? Yeah, because Bruna. No. no, no. It was. Oh, yeah. Someone it was, mentioned it. It was Catherine Eisman who mentioned, mentioned it. it. Her show was produced by the same oh, producer as look, Nine Perfect Strangers. I couldn't love it more. If you are into the, the all the sort of things that we talked about, but particularly if you're in middle age, mm-hmm. you know, when a lot of reckoning happens, I think, yeah. with yourself... Um, look, I couldn't recommend it more. I don't want to bang on about yeah. it too much. I'm I, a huge fan. I did love the book. Right. Of I haven't read the book. It's a very popular book. But yeah, yeah. Br- Bruna Papandreou, who's the producer, who's right. responsible for some amazing series. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah, she's done great things and is yeah. continuing to. So yeah, cheers to yeah. female producers and EPs out there as well. So it's very interesting. It's beautiful. It's thoughtful. It's made me go, and I've never had magic, magic mushrooms in my life. <laughs> But it's made me go, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Okay. This is uh, a sister up joke. Just for the next time. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 